Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see changed lives, and we hope this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy the message. Well, good morning. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to be with you. Uh, any of you all still on your news, your revolution, revolutions, resolution, tattoo? Everyone's doing good, perfect. You know, okay. Um, Glad to hear that. Well, we kicked off a new series last week called Resolve. Uh, it's from the book of Daniel. And uh, we kind of looked at Daniel making these, these resolves in his life or these resolutions in his life. And they just didn't start in the moment. A little backstory, if you missed it or, or forgot. So you had the southern kingdom of Judah. This is about 586 or so BC before Christ. You had a southern kingdom called Judah. Uh, and God had kept warning them, if you don't turn back to me, you're going to go into exile. There's going to be consequences. And they would, and then they'd go back into a life of sin and disobedience. And so finally God had had enough, and he, this other kingdom was growing. It was called Babylon. The leader of it was called, Nebuch- his name is Nebuchadnezzar. And eventually he overtook that country. And the way he did it was he did three different transports of the people from Judah into Babylon. And the first one, he took the most able, the smartest, the healthiest, in a lot of cases, the youngest, because he wanted to weaken that country and he wanted to strengthen his own. And Daniel was part of that group. Daniel and his friends were part of that group. And so they end up in this new country and they they go into a three-year schooling. I call it Babylon University. They went into a three-year school of Babylon U to deprogram them from everything that they had known before. It was going to be a new language. It was going to be new customs. It was going to be new gods. Every single thing was going to change from what they knew before. And so that's the setting. That's what's going on. And one day, Daniel is presented with the food to eat and good food, food in front of them. And Daniel refused to eat it. Why did he refuse to eat it? Because that food had been sacrificed to foreign gods. And Daniel had resolved a long time ago in his life that he was not going to disobey what God had said to do. And all throughout the Old Testament, God says, you shall have no other gods before me, and you should not eat or drink anything that has been sacrificed to other gods. So Daniel just didn't pick and choose which verses he was going to follow. And it was so easy for him, by the way, to just skirt this. He was in another land, far away. No one else really knew him. It's kind of one of those ideas uh, or things of when in Vegas, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You know, what happens in Babylon stays in Babylon. Uh, But he was resolved that he was not going to disobey God. And in fact, it said that when the food was put in front of him in this choice, it says, but Daniel, but Daniel resolved or but Daniel determined in his heart that he was not going to do anything that defiled this result. But Daniel, but Daniel. And we looked at the idea that God always has to do a work inside of us before he does a work through us or outside of us. So God has to do a work inside of us before he does a work through us. Because then in verse 9, the very beginning of verse 9, after it said, but Daniel, if we can have that on the screen, please, but Daniel, then it said thereafter, now God. But Daniel and now God. And that's how it always works. You and I have to make a determination. Are we going to follow what God asks us to do? Or are we going to take this serious? Or is it just going to be something we just do whenever we want? But if we choose and we resolve to follow after God, then God does what only he does. 
And in that case, Daniel said, I'm not going to eat this food, which could have cost him his life. He said, how about this? I eat vegetables, I eat water, or I drink water for 10 days. And if I am weaker, or if I look weaker, or stronger, or um, more pale, or just more decrepit, then so be it, consequences come. But if we're stronger after this diet, then can we continue on with that? And sure enough, then God. Now God showed up and it says in scripture that they were stronger, they were healthier, they were in better shape than the ones who would be eating steak and potatoes at that time. And so we, that was a reminder last week that it always starts inside and then we, make, we gotta make that resolution or resolve that we're gonna take something internal and then lead to external. We looked at uh, Romans 12 where it says, do not conform, but be transformed. And our challenge was, and for 2023, do we want to just conform and kind of go with status quo? Or are we okay with being transformed? And everyone's like, I think, I think transformed sounds better than conformed. Like, I think conformity and status quo doesn't sound nearly as exciting, nearly as interesting. Now, transformed seems scary, <laughs> seems intimidating, seems like, I don't know how this is going to go. But I think a lot of us said, you know what? I don't want to just go through life ho-hum. I don't want just average. I don't want just status quo. I want supernatural. I want extraordinary. I want my life to have purpose. I want to have meaning far beyond anything I could ever imagine. So that's kind of where we left off. We're going to pick up a little bit later in chapter three in just a few moments. When I was in school, one of the things that I disdained was group projects. Anyone else here, show of hands, dislike group projects? Anyone like group projects? Okay, here's why. I cannot stand procrastination and I cannot stand laziness, okay? That's just me. Like I, I, you know, if you're early or on time, on time is late, late is unacceptable. You know, that's just how I roll. You know, that's, I don't probably have a lot of friends, you know, why? <laughs> right? I just, I can't stand waiting till last minute. My anxiety, I mean, just I, if it's going to be done, it's going to be done well in advance and we're not, we're not going to wait till last minute and go running and doing all this stuff. And I can't stand when someone just goes along for the ride. Just drives me nuts. Group projects, by their nature, are designed to promote procrastination and someone not doing their job, right? Am I right? Well, I mean, that's just kind of how it works. And so inevitably, I'd be like, you know, you get in this group project and, you know, the deadline's coming up and I'm like, we should have been done with this a week ago. And then so-and-so hasn't done, you know, anything, you know, and, and then here's the thing that's just not fair, right? What is it? You all get the same grade, right? So you get a 95 out of 100, and Joe, Joe Bum, you know, it's just, you know, I don't know if pastors should call someone a bum, but I am, okay? That's just what they did. They, did, they bummed it, and they got the same grade as me. I was, and I'm, I'm also more kind of um, wired independent, so I always be like, just give me a test. <laughs> I don't care. Give me a quiz. Give me a test. Give me a group project and just give it. I'll do it myself. Like, you know, I don't. And so then I became a teacher. I taught high school science for about a decade. Group projects have a lot of benefit on the teacher side. But because of my disdain for all the other aspects that can kind of into that, I got to control a little bit and I created these rubrics. And part of the rubric was you graded each person in your group as far as their level of participation because it is absolutely, right? Some of you would say amen to this, right? It's absolutely unacceptable that everyone gets the same grade when someone didn't do the work that they should have, right? Yeah, amen, okay, right? And so uh, part of the grade of the rubric was a zero to 10 if 
and you could grade each other. Now, here's what I learned. I taught high schoolers. Here's what I learned about high schoolers. They're ruthless. Like if someone didn't do their job, because I got into this thinking, man, they're just going to be soft, you know, and they're not going to want to offend anyone. Uh-uh. Like Joe Bum, you know, or Jill not lazy or whatever. They didn't, they got a, like a zero. I'm telling, I'm like, I was, ooh, I thought, I got fist fights breaking out. And I'd be like, you know, I don't know, as a teacher, as a pastor, like, I don't know, you deserved it. No, <laughs> but, but I'm like, I'm thinking, man, and here's the thing I always, always realized, by the way, the ones who bummed it, you know, they knew they bummed it. And they never argued about it. <laughs> it's fascinating, okay? Now, why do I say that? What's that to do with anything? Well, you know, I learned it's in life. It's, it's okay to not like group projects, but it's not okay in life to do it Lone Ranger. I learned in life, it, it's okay to be independent, but it's not okay to not have other people in your life who are pouring into you, who you can go to. It's okay in life to trailblaze or to want to conquer the hill on your own. That's okay. But it's not okay to live in isolation. It's just not okay. We need other people. Even the ones that didn't like group projects. We need other people. We can't do this life on our own. And today we're going to be looking at an encounter in Daniel chapter 3. Some of us are maybe more familiar with this encounter. It involves not Daniel. Daniel more than likely is out on official king business. He's probably out of the country, frankly. But it involves three other guys who are close friends of Daniel. Their, Their new names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it deals with Uh, an encounter with something of a temperature of the exact opposite of the temperatures we experienced two weeks ago, okay? This is a hot situation, literally and figuratively. So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3. I'm not going to put all the verses up on the screen because we're going to read about 18 of them, but I want you to follow along with me if you would. So uh, you'll see the page number there. We're going to be on page 721 of the Bibles. So you can grab them there in your rows. If you're with us online, they can give you a link or something like that to help you follow along online. If you have the Bible app on your phone, go for it. Uh, I just, I'm always, even when I sat in your seat, I always just kind of open up and had that open, whatever the pastor was preaching on, just kind of kept my finger in there. And I don't really care if you read ahead as we're reading or you go back and continue reading. And as I talk about something else, there's no substitute for letting God's word kind of marinate within you. So we're going to be in verse chapter three. I'm going to read about the first 16 or 18 verses, but just kind of follow along. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image. So the king made an image of gold and it was about 60 cubits high and six cubits wide. So it's really big. It's like 90 feet or more. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other providential officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other providential officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and they stood before it. This guy's got an obvious me problem. Like he's got, he's got some pride issues, but I am. Verse four says, then the herald loudly proclaimed nations and peoples of every language. This is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into what? A blazing furnace. 
Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all the kinds of music, all the nations and the peoples of every language fell down and they worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the, the flute, the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. It's like tattletaling. It's like school. Anyhow. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace." Then what, will, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Mic drop, right? Uh, now, a lot of times we... Uh, if you've heard this story, there's a lot to pull out from it. There's something about the resolve they had. There's something about the trust in God that they had. There's something about the courage that they have. I mean, there's so many different aspects to that, that God is faithful and he will come through in their belief in that. But there, as I was reading that, there's something, I was just asking a lot of questions to myself and writing them down as I was reading through this text that I've read through, frankly, many, many times before. And something interesting came to my mind. I asked myself this question. I wonder if they would have had the same level of courage if it was just one of them before the king and not all three. Ever think about that? Now, I don't know the answer to that question because it didn't actually happen. But I don't know. I got thinking about my own life. I got thinking about humanity in general. I got thinking about the situation they were in. And I've, I just kind of wonder that there was strength in number there. That they had because there was three of them, and they, they, they had that courage together. You know, so I, you know, and I'm like, well, Daniel, how's Daniel fit in? Daniel's not here at this time. He's in another foreign land. Because I'm pretty certain on this guess, if Daniel would have been in the kingdom at this time, based on what I've learned about Daniel, we learned last week, and you can read forward, and what else you learn about the guy. If he would have been around, I don't think he would have been bowing down either. So that kind of tells me he's probably out of town. I don't think he compromised. But how did, what's going on here? How did these guys have the resolve to do this? How did they have the courage to do it? I think a lot of it is because they were together. They were in communion together. And they saw Daniel earlier on have the guts and have the courage to stand up. And then whether they knew each other going into this or whether they became friends in captivity, it doesn't totally matter. But we know at some point they bonded. And I think they bonded over this same resolve. They bonded over the same love for God. They, they figured out, hey, we're a band of brothers here. And when a band of brothers comes together, there's not going to be much that can separate them, right? There's so much more courage. There's so much more resolve. There's so much more we can do together 
than by ourselves. See, so often when we read the Bible, we read it, and this isn't a slam on us, it's just natural for us to read this this way. We read it through a Western lens because we're Westerners. That's why, right? If we were Eastern, and we lead it through, since we read it through a Western lens, when we read the Bible, that Western lens is a very individualistic lens because that's what we're taught, right? That's what our culture is. Every man for himself, every woman for himself. You pull up your own bootstraps. You figure. We live in a culture that kind of says, hey, if you don't, don't get the job done, someone else will take it from you, right? If you can't figure it out, too bad, so sad. I mean, that's our culture. That is unlike most of the world's culture, and it's definitely different than the biblical culture. Everything in the biblical culture, from the Old Testament and the Hebrew culture to the New Testament and the Greek culture, was all about community and family. Nothing was looked at through an individual lens. Nothing was looked at as isolation. Not everything, good or bad, was going to affect the entire community. How do I know this? How do I know that the Bible, kind of from cover to cover, is all about life together and about community? Well, before God even uttered one single word of creation, there was the Trinity. God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit, they didn't even do life apart from each other. Fascinating, right? In fact, we have a lot of time explaining it to people. How do I, how, how it is the Trinity? And how's, this, how's God different than Jesus? And how's Jesus different than the Spirit? And I'm not going to give that sermon today. <laughs> to be a, right? We struggle with that, don't we? Because they're so one. They're so connected. There's so much community. God then created, and he made this guy by the name of, of Adam, right? And eventually God looks down at Adam. Bible says this, not Mark. God looks down at Adam. And he says, you know what? It's just not good. It's the only time he said it. Everything else he said, and this is good, and this is very good. And he looks down at man, and he said, not good. He said, I can do better than this. No, okay. <laughs> so he created a woman, okay? <laughs> There's my points, okay? All right? I've been waiting all year to get that joke in. Now, he looks down and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. This is not, there's no suitable helper for him of all the other creation. And so God then creates woman. And then all throughout, his, all throughout biblical times, right? It's always about a group of people. They're always doing life together. You can look in Judges, chapter, uh, yeah, Judges Joshua chapter 7, where there's a guy by the name of Achan. And he sins. He disobeys. He, does, he, he takes things that aren't his from the temple or from the tabernacle. And, and they're looking for him. They're looking for him. They finally find out he's the one who had him. He hit him and everything. And, and we under, don't understand this because we live so individualistically. We don't think through the lens of community and a family, but his whole family died as a result of his sin. The consequences, we think in our world that, you know, if I do whatever, then I pay for it. And that's true. But sin always affects other people. Think about that. Sin always affects other people. And you can go on and on. The prophets were speaking to nation groups. And then in Acts 2, the church starts. And the church wasn't just a bunch of individuals. It says they spent time together. They did life together. In fact, the word household in the Greek is oikos. It means extended family. They didn't just live in isolation. They didn't even live as family units. They just lived, everyone kind of lived together. They did life together. Now, you can understand that some of you have studied other cultures. Other cultures get this, right? They're like, yeah, there's like four generations that live in our home. 
I don't even want sometimes the one generation in my home in my home, right? <laughs> they don't want me. Right? But that's just in some, I mean, that's just how it works. We have to understand, I think, in a Western lens, sometimes how, how lack of a better term, how messed up sometimes our interpretation of Scripture is because we look at it through the individual and not the community. And so Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are a classic example of what it means to do life together and of the power in community. I was fortunate enough coming out of high school or in high school, especially my junior and senior year, to have some athletic opportunities to be recruited uh, to play football and baseball in particular. And so in some of those cases, some of the bigger schools, they would offer what they called official visits. An official visit essentially meant that you would go there for the weekend, they would treat you really well, they'd roll, I, I, I say sometimes they roll out the red carpet, I wasn't that kind of athlete, they would just roll out carpet, okay? They would roll out nothing. I wasn't a five-star or four-star athlete, but they, would, but they would do everything they could to try to convince you that you should come to their school. And so you're going to eat really well, you know, they're going to do all that kind of stuff. So how it kind of worked is you would get there, you get, you, your parents would come with you, you'd meet with the coaches or coaches, and they would talk through the program and, you know, have all the questions. Mom has a million questions, right? So they're making sure that, you know, son's going to be really taken care of and all that jazz. And, and then eventually they would... Um, a parent, mom and dad would leave and they'd have a, one of the players come down and that would kind of be your uh, partner for the weekend. That would be, they'd be in charge of you, which is scary to put a 20-year-old in charge, but that's just how it worked. And so you would, they would take you everywhere, make sure you're at practices, make sure you're at the dining hall, that kind of stuff. So there's one university I went to, it's on the East Coast, and I'm not going to mention the university because you'll hear the story in a second. But um, as soon as my parents left, uh, I'm with this young man, with this probably sophomore, junior or whatever, and we leave the coach's office, we leave the athletic center, and his first question to me was, hey, do you have a fake ID? <laughs> so, well, yeah, I said, I have Pennsylvania, I have New Jersey. No, I was like, no, I was like, kind of caught me off guard. I hadn't been asked that question actually ever in my life if I had a fake ID. Um, the answer was, no, I don't have a fake ID, but my mind really quick went to why he was asking me that question. And then my mind really went to really quick of what we were probably going to be doing all weekend. Uh, and so, and my suspicion was proven. We pretty much spent all weekend just going to party, to party, to party, and then practice. I don't know how they practice, but they, we somehow fit a practice in there. In fact, one time we went around the corner to this one party. As soon as I came around the corner and the house was at the other end of the street, I smelled that funny cigarette smell, that funny cigarettes, you know, okay? Uh, if there's a possibility of getting high, secondhand high, I probably pulled it off that night because there's a lot of marijuana going on, okay? But that's what the whole weekend was, just party after party, drinking after drinking. And, and I was not in a stage of my life where I was strong in my faith, but I was at a point where I didn't, I just knew some things I didn't want to do, okay? And I also knew I was kind of weak and I figured, man, I could fall down a trap pretty quick here. And so, and even the first question the next morning when I got into the coach's office, he was, what, did you get him drunk last night? And I remember when my parents came and got me and we were driving home from, East Coast University, um, I thought, and I, 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 you know, as an immature 18-year-old, but I, I knew that I was like, I don't want this. I don't want to do this for five, four, four years, okay? I don't want, I knew, I mean, you could do it in, in any aspect of the school, but if you're on an athletic team at the college level, you're, some of that stuff gets taken a whole different level when it comes to partying and some of the other temptations that come in. So I was like, I just don't, I just don't want that. I, I just knew for myself, I was too weak, I was going to fall into it at some point. I 
didn't have any desire to be a designated driver for four years. Uh, and I, but I also knew that at some point I would, something would get the best of me. And I knew I was, have a pretty addictive personality. So when I tried whatever or did whatever, whoo, it could go bad. And so there was one other university, it was a Christian university, and it, it, it just worked for me. I remember thinking, I, I need to choose who my friends are. Like a pivotal point, right? One of those turning points. I'm going to get, for the first time, I never had a chance to choose my friends before, right? You go to elementary school, there they are. You go to middle school, there they are. You go to high school, there they are, right? Like it or leave it, you know, pick one, pick none, pick everyone, you know? Now, right, some of you went off to college, you know how that works, right? Now, if you think about it, it's the first time you had a choice. I can choose to go this route, I can choose to go this route. And if I go this route, it's not going to go for long. I'm going to pick one of the two. And I knew in this setting, in the other schools I had looked at, I was going to go one route. There wasn't anyone I could find who was going to help, you know, help me make some halfway decent choices. And so went to, went to the Mount Vernon, to this Christian college. And I remember the first fall practice looking out and, and I, you know, I get to know the guys. And of course, just because it's Christian doesn't mean everyone's Christian, obviously. And, um, but I remember having this pivotal moment of I can go this way and still get into the party scene and some of the other stuff. But I also got to meet some people here that wanted to try to go this route that I was wanting to. And one of the game changers of my life was that, of, of choosing good friends. All right? I mean, we are the product of who we hang around with, right? I mean, it is, it is the truth, okay? And I got thinking about that with Dan. I got thinking about with the Bible. And I got thinking about that with the church, you know, the, the church is it's not a building, it's a body. I'm going to say that again. The church is not a building, it's a body. I, w- I want you to say that out loud with me. The church is not a, it is a body. It is people. In fact, the church is a holy thing. God created the church and therefore it's holy. It is set apart. That's what holy means. It is set apart. The church is a holy thing that God has set apart. And the church is about the people that make it up. And in fact, the word church is, is, is from a Greek word called ekklesia, okay? And it was not a word for church, and it was not a religious word at all. In fact, the word ekklesia meant when they called out and a group of people would leave their homes and they would gather together in a town square to do something together to make the community better. Isn't it cool how that word, the history of that word? And so the word church literally means a group of people called out from one place to another. A group of people called out from God, by God, from one place to another. So we are the church today. You're a group of people. God's called this, whether you want to or not, but he's done it. (laughs) Whether you believe it or not, he's done it. And you've gone from one place to another. I'm guessing you came from your house or or breakfast or wherever to here. Here's the other fascinating thing. Assuming you're going to leave today, which our alarms go on at 11, so you're good till then. You, know, you can stay afterwards too, just talk to the police. But I'm guessing all of us are going to leave at some point today, even us. My kids wonder if we leave, but we do eventually, okay? You're still going to be a group of people, right? When you go home, when you go to Kroger, when you go to school, when you go to your place of employment, when you go wherever you go, you're still going to be a group, or could be a group if you come together, you're going to still have God's calling because God's always calling us to do something. And you're going from one place to another. In that case, you're leaving from here to go there or you're leaving your house to go to work or you're leaving your house to go to Kroger or you're leaving Kroger to go to Walmart or, whatever, you know, or Subway or wherever you're going, right? Okay. 
The church both is gathered and the church both is scattered, but it's done in the context of community. There's no such thing about in the scripture of Jesus and me. See, that's our Western, and that's our individual. It's just Jesus and me. I made a decision for Jesus. I'm just going to live with Jesus. He's going to be with me. We're going to go where we go. That's true, but, don't you hate those, right? That's true. Like, come on. Yeah, it's partially true, but it doesn't just stop there. So if you say that you're a follower of Jesus, if you've experienced his salvation, him as savior for your sin, and you've allowed him to come in and start being the Lord of your life, we're all in the process of allowing him to become Lord of everything of our life, then wherever you are, God is calling you on a mission, and we're to do that together. See, it's the misnomer that we kind of come here, we sit in our seats, we do what we do, and then we go on our way. That's not actually being part of the body of Christ. It's crazy to think about. You can be here, but not truly be part of the body if you're not playing some role in helping the body move forward. You see, one of the lies that Satan always wants us to believe that being a lone ranger is okay. That, hey, Mark, you can, you, you, you can figure this out on your own. You, you can do this on your own. In fact, I just want to ask you this question. Do you, maybe it's right now in your life or maybe it's a previous, um, previous time in your life. But think about a time when, when, you, when maybe you had some temptation going on in your life or you had some, some trouble going on in your marriage or in another type of relationship or, or with your friends or you're trying to figure out some greater meaning in life. How many of you had great victory and great success when you're trying to figure that stuff out or trying to, to um, not fall into that temptation when you're doing it by yourself? How many of you had great success when it came to overcoming temptation or when it came to figuring out the problems of life by yourself? I don't know. I'm just going to give my own example. For a number of years, I tried to just do it on my own because I am independent, because I am introverted, because... I am like, I'll just figure it out. I'll just pray harder. I'll just fast more. I'll just whatever, right? I'll just um, self-will it, willpower, right? Or just, and it's the definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And I remember finally in my mid-20s having that aha that I need community. I can't do this on my own. I don't have to have a huge crowd because huge crowds, and I'm glad we have a lot of people come here, but huge crowds like overwhelm me. Like I just want to talk to a few people, okay? Um, but I needed other people. I needed at least one other person. I need a couple other people in life to challenge me. First Peter says this. He says this about the church. He says this about you and I. He says, but, but you are a chosen people. We're a chosen people. A royal priesthood. Anyone need some self-esteem boosting today? God says, you're chosen by me and you are royalty if you've entered into my kingdom, if you've accepted my leadership. You, that's why I say all the time, God says, man, he is, I'm, God, I say this, God's crazy about you. I didn't make that up. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Maybe that's what you need to hear today. Whatever else I'm talking about, <laughs> this is like truth that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness in his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, one of the misnomers about church is that we all come here individually or maybe we come as our family, and that's kind of what we do. But do you know that when we gather here, we 
can look at each other if we've accepted Christ and say, you know what? I got the same grace you did. How cool is that? I received the same mercy you did. How awesome is that? We can understand, we can relate, we can grow together. See, when we look at church as just something that we add to our schedule when we have time or uh, we're kind of in, we're kind of out, we, um, we look at the list of things we can do here at the church, we're missing God's idea. God's idea was that a group of called people would gather together and make a difference together. There's something special you and I have an opportunity. Would you all agree that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did something special that day? Yeah. I mean, a story that's lived on for generation after generation about a group of guys that I'm convinced that because they were together, they had the courage to follow through. If there was just one of them, I don't know. I think the odds go down. I think at least the odds go down. And God's saying the same today. Imagine what I could do through the Valley Church if these people would rally together. Imagine what I could do if we looked at things not through the lens of individualism, but through the lens of community. The Bible is so full of community. In fact, I don't know if you knew how the Romans fought when it talks about like in a spiritual warfare and in Ephesians 6 and that. Do you ever hear the tortoise formation? So this is how the Romans fought. You would, be, you would have all your gear on and all that, of course, but then you would have a huge um, shield, okay? They had a better name for it than shield, but that's what I'm going to call it. They had this shield that go from floor up to over their head. And how protective is that shield individually? If I'm walking around with this shield, I'm protected wherever I have the shield, right? If it's in front, I'm good to go. Come on my head, not so good. Come from behind, not so good. So what they would do is they would get in, think of, envision this, I don't have a picture of it, but think of a, a square. And they would be on the perimeter, they would all be on the, those who are on the perimeter, and they would each have their shield in front of them. Picture in that? So everything on the perimeter is covered. So what about the guys in the middle? Because they would always walk together in battle as a unit. They never went by themselves. Okay, and those of you, I'm not, I don't have military background, you have a military background would say, yeah, right, you're trained, that's in big trouble if you go by yourself and you know, even in training, I'm sure that's not going to be, that's going to be frowned upon, right? And so there would be a group in the middle. Where do you think the group in the middle had their shields? Over their head. So every single part is covered from the enemy. You see why scripture uses that example against the flaming arrows? Because there wasn't, you're like, well, what if a bomb hit them? First century folks, they didn't have them, Okay. <laughs> Those of you who are thinking about aircraft flying over, just remember context, first century. The flaming arrows is what they would have been shooting. Hand-to-hand -hand combat was very common. Double-edged swords, that's another thing. That was very common. Okay? They were protected. See, when you and I think we can get this done by ourselves, we're in trouble. As soon as you and I think we, we're good to go, I just, if I just come to church, if I just give, if I just serve, uh-uh. You need community. We need to do this with other people. In fact, one of my big, from as a pastor, one of your pastors this year is, I want us to do more things together. Now we have two services and hundreds of people. I'm not saying that we all get to know each other and we all sing kumbaya around the campfire. I'm not what I'm talking about. I don't even know how to sing kumbaya, okay? 
What I'm talking about is that we, do, we, we, we grow together. We iron sharpen iron. Uh, that's why with the one-year Bible, I had mentioned last week about kicking off the one-year Bible. There's 35 of you in an email group with me on one-year Bible. There's another group. We're doing it on the actual app. It's not too late. It's January 8th. Doesn't matter. Just jump in. So that connection card that Shelly probably referenced earlier, that's in the back seat pocket. If you're with us online, they'll send you a digital card. If you'd pull those out or have them handy, if you want to join that one-year Bible, I want to do it together because it's really hard to do it by yourself. I want to I grow together. I want to ask questions together. Um, here's the other thing. We're kicking off tomorrow, and I would love for as many of you as possible to be part. We call this Seek Him First. It starts tomorrow at breakfast, and it's going to end at lunch on next Sunday, the 15th. It's going to be a week of fasting, okay? And scripturally, fasting is always tied to prayer and studying scripture. In fact, without that, it's kind of just a bad diet plan, okay? And so, and it's always tied scripturally to food. Now, I understand, and I don't, I'm not criticizing if you say you're going to fast from social media or from, from entertainment or TV or Netflix or Hulu or whatever, but here's the reality. God always tied it to food because believe it or not, I know some of us have a tough time believing we could actually live without Instagram. See, I know your teenagers don't think we could live without Twitter or Facebook, but 30 days they say, right or so without food and not so good. And so we're starting this journey. We're going to do a Daniel fast. Daniel fast is actually right off of what we looked at last week. It's, it's, uh, abstaining from uh, bread, meat, and sweets. That's the easiest way to remember. Bread, meats, and sweets. Surprisingly, there are foods left after that. Not a lot, but there are some. And I would love for as many of us as possible to join in this Seek Him First together, a week of fasting together as a church, fasting for God to do amazing things in and through the valley, fasting for him to do things in and through your family, fasting for even in your individual life. Just because we're not, we shouldn't look at things individualistically does not mean, in fact, Lord's Prayer says, pray for some of your daily needs too. But I've been doing these for a long time, and it's always a special time to do it as a community, to do it as a body. And I don't, here's what I want you not to do with this don't get all kinds of regimented about food and what foods can I eat and what foods can't. I used to be that way when I did this. I, I would do a 21 day sometimes and I'd be like, well, there's sugar in ketchup. I can't have any ketchup. I mean, I would get so dogmatic about it. Just do your best. Like we all know what bread is. We all know what meat is. I always get this question, is fish meat? Yes. Fish is meat. Okay. I don't, I don't know. It is meat, okay? And sweets, we all know what sweets are. Pretty much, if it tastes really good, it's probably off limits for the next week, okay? But I want to do this together, okay? I want to do this together, and you can mark on the back of that connection card. You could just put it on the comment section. Just write fast or fasting. Drop it in a joy box. If you're with us online, I want you to do it too. But here's what I want to just talk about. The reason we fast is it, it's a command, actually. We see it all throughout Scripture. But when we give up something that we need for life, and instead of focusing on that, we turn our attention to focus on the one who really is life, the bread of life, the true bread of life. I've seen God, during times of fasting in my life, um, show up in ways I had never seen before. 
There's times in, in the Bible that disciples go out to heal someone. They can't heal. They can't set them free of, of some stuff. And they come back and they say, we, we failed. We, can't, we, we don't know, Jesus. What do we do? We don't know. And Jesus said, this, this thing only comes out by prayer and fasting. All the time throughout Scripture, we see moments of fasting for, during repentance for nations. We see times of fasting when they're looking for direction in their life. We see times of fasting when they're just hungering, and no pun intended, but hungering for, for something more of God in their life. I would inc- here's what I would just encourage us to do. Don't, some of us are going to be like, I'm not going to do this because I can't do this for seven days. Don't let that stop you. So do it for a day. I'm not going to be like, so how many days did you do it for? Mm, you had... You had a French, fr- French fries or potatoes. I don't know. Don't, don't get in all the logistics of this, okay? But I want to do this as a group. And so put on there, I want, I'm going to create an email group through my own church email, not through a, like a, a corporate one. Uh, and I want to journey together. I want to, I want to pray for each other together. I, maybe you have some big thing. You know, maybe you have something really to keep private, but if you want to share that. I, my, my fast last year was for former students of mine, their mom, um, had a complication from a very basic surgery and went into a coma. I live in North Carolina, and um, pretty much the, the doctors had said, you know, she's not going to make it. But she was still on life support, and so that was one of my big things. And I wasn't the only one. It's not like I'm special, but that was, my, that was my huge focus last year was praying and interceding and fasting on behalf of her. And one of the coolest stories ever, because I wanted the stories to come out of this, God healed her. God healed her, and I'm convinced, not because of me, has nothing to do, but because a lot of people were praying and fasting. We were so desperate. We were showing God even, that's one thing you even show when you fast, of God, how desperate you are to see him come through, how desperate we need his power, so, how desperate we want his presence in our lives. So if you want to fast for a day, and I, I'm not saying if you have dietary issues, like don't hurt yourself, don't make yourself sick, or don't put yourself in the hospital over this, but if you've never done this before, give it a shot and just start. And if you, if you see a Wendy's commercial Monday night and you, you fall off the wagon, then get back on Tuesday. Like, don't make this about the food. Seriously, don't make this about the food. Make this about connecting with God. Make this about changing the trajectory of your relationship with him. I want to close um, with this. And I actually, I wrote this down. I was just thinking about just as a community, coming together, doing things together, doing things like Alpha, which is kicking off uh, on Wednesday the 18th uh, for the kids and for the teens. I thought about, I wrote this down. I said, how about when we're reveling in heaven? When, someday when everyone who's attended the Valley Church, I don't, know, I don't even know if this is theological, but I just think this is fun to imagine. We all get together in heaven, you know, and, and everyone's together. And we start talking about all the things that we see God do. Wouldn't it be so cool to see each, say to each other, wasn't it so awesome to do all that together? Wasn't it so awesome? Remember when, when that marriage was saved? Remember when that, that kid gave their life to Christ? Remember when all those people were baptized? Remember when we, when we you know, collect all that food for, for the backpack program? Remember when, isn't it so cool to see all the things we did together and see what, how God opened up our opportunity? I think there's going to be some people who are in that group who say, you know what? I'm so glad you guys chose to do things together. I'm so glad because I, I would not be here. I wouldn't be here right now. I would have never had a chance to collide with Jesus if you guys hadn't collectively as the body, not a building, right? But as the body of Christ. So can we do that? What's it look like? What's it look like for you to have more community in your life this year? Because I, 
and I'll, I'll wrap up with this. It's a funny story, but it has a, a, it has a key point to it. It's, the, the story goes like this. It says, an old farmer, he decided to enter his mule into the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> his mule. His friend says to him, what are you doing that for? What are you doing that for? He can never win. To which the old farmer said, he said, I know that, but the association will do him good. <laughs> We're better together. I need you. I'm a better person. I'm a better follower of Christ. I'm a better husband. I'm a better leader of the church. I'm a better dad because of you, believe it or not. Things I hear from you, different, you praying for me, different words of encouragement, different, you know, we're better. You need someone. And the thing is this, you and I never drift into community. It doesn't happen. You can never just drift into it. You have to make a conscious decision that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get with other people. I'm going to ask someone to come into my life. I'm going to ask someone, would you hold me accountable for X, Y, or Z? Would you pray with me? Would you, some of you need to encourage your teens and maybe just sign them up, frankly, to get into Alpha for teenagers and get into community. That's what Alpha is about. That's what our life groups are about. That's what our serve teams are about. Things we do inside of here and do outside to do it together. So we're going to receive communion. It's so fitting we're going to do this. If you didn't get a cup when you came in, would you slip your hand up? Jessica's going to come around with them. See, you can, you can partake in communion on your own and there's nothing sinful. There's nothing wrong about that. But did you know that this sacrament is designed and created to do as the body of Christ? Jesus instituted it with a group of his friends one night reclining around a table. These things are beyond difficult to get into. There we go. And you know what's really cool about communion? There's, there's different theological aspects that differences sometimes on communion and, and differences of opinions or whatever, but there's something unifying also about communion. In fact, you know that for centuries, churches of all denominations have been doing this, of different faiths, of different languages, of different cultures, of different ethnicities. The one thing that stays the same is the meaning of why we're doing this. It's so cool. This is something we do, not only as the body of Christ. In fact, Jesus said, don't receive this if you're not part of the body. If you've never said yes to Jesus, you can't receive it, not because he wants to keep you out, not because he's angry at you, but because you haven't received it, you haven't become part of the body, so you can't receive something we do as the body. Does that make sense? If you're not part of the body because you haven't received Jesus Christ, you can't receive it as the body. And I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus today too. So you can enter into the body of Christ. Jesus said, this represents my body, which is going to be broken for you. And so if you've never said yes to Jesus, if you've never dealt with the severity of your sin, and you've realized the only solution to this sin problem you have is a savior, would you do it today? Would you allow him to come in to forgive you? Would you allow him to come in and set you free? Would you allow him to come in and change you from the inside out? Because I know this about you, even though I don't know you. If you haven't allowed that to happen, everything else you're trying is leaving you empty. Everything else you're trying might fill you for a moment, but then you're left void again. And so we come together today as the body, as a group of people called by God from one place to another to remember and to celebrate 
Jesus's death on the cross. He said, this is my body, which is gonna be broken for you. Do this and remember it to me. Would you receive this together today? And in the same way, Bible tells us that there is a reclining around that table, not too many hours from when Jesus was going to go to the cross. He says, this represents my blood. This means that I'm going to go on that cross and I'm going to be humiliated. I'm going to be scorned. I'm going to be shamed. And I'm going to be the substitute for all of humanity. The penalty that my sin deserved, the penalty that your sin deserved, Jesus bore it all. And why did he do it? Because he's pretty crazy about you. You're pretty special. And he so desperately wants you to receive that gift of forgiveness. And so we receive this together today as the body of Christ, remembering the blood that was shed for each of us and the grace that we could receive for the gift of salvation. Let's receive that together today. Would you stand with me? We're going to close. Band's going to come up. You guys can come up. We're going, to, we're going to close with Echo Holy again. One of the things we do here at the Valley is we do a lot of response. We, we open it up. You can respond, by the way, anytime you want. So if you're singing a song early in the service and you feel a nudge to come up and pray, do it. Feel a nudge to kneel at your seat and pray, do it. Feel a nudge to come up and light a candle on behalf of someone that you want to come see come to know Christ, do it. But we also want to give you a time here corporately at the end most weeks, most weeks just to respond. Because we're doing this together. We're on the same journey together. And we want to bring as many people on this journey as possible. So light that candle. Maybe you just need to intercede and come up and pray, intercede on behalf of someone else. Maybe you're making a a resolution today and resolving to invite other people into your life, do life together. Maybe you just need to pin something to the cross. Maybe you just need to sing the song. Maybe you just need to listen to the words of the song and allow them to penetrate in. But this is your time to respond to how the Savior leads you. Thanks for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app to stay connected with all things the Valley. And if today's message impacted you, share it with a friend, because changed lives change lives.